Good afternoon and welcome to Auto Retail Live, the future of motor finance. That's a heck of a title for a webinar, but I hope you will find the next 30 minutes of your working day useful. Today is day 225 of 2020. In just 169 days, the new regulations from the FCA uh, will come in place. It's a lot of time. It's the end of January, but it's not a lot of time. In the next 30 minutes, we'll be looking at the issues raised by the FCA and hopefully helping you to put together your action list of things that you and your team uh, will need to focus on. Around 90% of new cars are sold on finance. So the absolute overwhelming uh, majority of new car sales and indeed used car sales are governed by these regulations. Perhaps this webinar will be the most relevant one you watch this year. I'm delighted to welcome to our Auto Retail Live uh, webinar this afternoon. We have Mike Pierce uh, from Sitna Finance, Andy Tong from Profit Training, James Chu from iVendi, and Neil Pickle, Neil Pickles from RSM. In the next 30 minutes, we'll be looking first of all at the regulations and the changes and going through some of the detail. And then we will have the opportunity to see how this is affecting your business an opportunity for you to join in the conversation, perhaps raise a question. If there's something you've already seen and thought, hmm, I'd like to know more about that, this is your opportunity. So please feel free. You can enter your question here on the webinar just by typing your question into the dialogue box, or you can use social media. And our editor, Tristan, will be following those comments. Uh, you can send them via the hashtag ARNLive. So let's start, and I'd like to first of all welcome Neil Pickles from RSM. Neil, if you could give us, as a professional services organization, you're very much into the detail of standards and how things should be done. Can you just give us a snapshot of what the FCA's changes mean? Yeah, sure, Al. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, delighted to be uh, here as part of this uh, webinar this afternoon. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll start with just the factual part, really, and, and hopefully provide some thoughts that not only will generate a conversation, but also um, lead to questions as well from, from, from your good selves. So the report is obviously the latest um, as part of the FCA's investigation into, into um, the automotive sector and motor finance. Um, and specifically, this time focuses on commission and how it is articulated to, to the customer. Um, there's two chapters um, primarily within it. The first is around commission with the wholly expected news that um, discretionary commission models are to be banned. Um, that's um, not unexpected, um, primarily because they've hinted at it for a long time, but also because it's uh, very common for those kind of models to be uh, banned elsewhere in the financial services sector. Um, so on, on that basis, it, it's kind of a natural move, if, if you will. Um, the document itself defines exactly what a discretionary commission model means to the FCA as any scheme where the amount the broker receives is linked to the rate that the customer pays and which the broker has the power to set or adjust. The second point is around disclosure and I think this is actually uh, where, where, where the document is more interesting um, and, and where perhaps um, the nature of evolution with, within um, auto retail um, could, could well come. So first of all, um, you have to disclose the nature of the commission. Now, in classic FCA um, style, the word nature is then not defined and, and therefore will, will be up to individual organisations, but also perhaps the sector as a whole to, to come up with, with what that means in practice. And then on top of that, we've got that this is to be articulated not only through financial promotions, so, so the displays you have um, within dealerships and also your websites, 
but also how prominent it is. Now, the FCA has not redefined prominent since the good old days of the Financial Services um, Authority, which disappeared some seven years ago. Um, and that prominence um, is, again, similarly loosely worded, but is all around basically if you can see one part of information, um, can you see um, the, the warning statements and commissions um, and things like that with, with equal prominence? Um, what's also interesting within that area is that the FCA um, suggests quite heavily that it feels that the um, auto retail uh, sector is not um, is not actually complying with current regulation. Now, I'm not here to debate that today per se, but if that were to be true, then actually the small amendments that the FCA believes it's bringing in could actually be slightly larger for, for, for some organisations. And then very finally, the third area which doesn't get the same level of prominence within the, um, within the document is around monitoring. And it's actually here where, where, where the biggest uh, damage, if you will, could be done for an organisation that, that, that is not complying. So specifically, it's going to look at models of commission going forwards, which is clearly something as a regulator it can do remotely. Um, I would expect it to be quite aggressive on those, um, on, on those companies where it feels um, that there is non-compliance with this regulation. But also, there is going to be mystery shopping from September next year. And mystery shopping, of course, moves us away from the written word into the spoken word. And therefore, dealerships have, have a kind of a second conundrum, which is not just how do you make the disclosures um, uh, and, and make sure you can evidence that um, for, for forever, but also how do you make sure that your staff that are dealing with customers on, on the shop floor are actually um, saying the right things as well. Thanks, Al. Okay. Thank you, Neil. Now that's a that's a good start. It's a good it's a good summary of um, what is quite a long and complicated document. Um, sitting in the showroom, then you're you're receiving this information. I'm going to turn now to Andy Tong, who who for a living um, trains people how to uh, manage their business and and make profit through through his training. Andy, is it still going to be possible to make money with all the extra red tape we're going to have to face? Uh, Al, it's great to see uh, you and the team. Um, the simple answer is yes. The more complicated answer is uh, a change is coming. I think, as Neil alluded to, really quite strongly in his piece, uh, in his introductory piece just a second ago, this is an evolution. It's not come as a surprise. We knew it was coming. We had um, every just cause and reason to believe that this was going to happen and in the way that it did. So none of it's caught us by surprise, but it does represent a change. And as we permeate that down, we've got to recognise that historically, as retailers and as uh, F&I experts, um, we've had a, a balance, a spectrum of deals. And, you know, some of those deals have been very thin earnings wise. And some of them, thanks to DIC, has been uh, generous. We're going to have to find new ways of making sure that we negotiate and work with our finance and funding partners to ensure that those commissions and those profitabilities continue to make F&I viable for our retail operations. Yes. I mean, you, you and, and your colleagues in, in sales training are usually the most positive people um, on earth, which is fantastic. But I guess it makes the job harder. But the, the um, if, if I'm right in saying this, part of the reason for the FCA's intervention uh, was to reduce the amount of money that the consumers are paying for finance. So presumably that reduces the opportunity to make money. Yeah, it does say in the document, Neil alluded to it in his introduction, it does say in the document that the, the FCA recognise and want to break this link between the amount of money that can be made by people within the chain and, equally importantly, the amount of true cost of these financial contracts that the retail consumers 
um, have to endure and indeed, uh, you know, produce and pay. So, yeah, they want to break that link. I mean, let's just bear in mind that the FCA's job isn't to be a right royal pain in the arse to all of us retailers and funders. The FCA's job is to make sure that the market works properly and to iron out those creases. And there have always been those smart professional operators that have always done a good all-round job. And they've always been in our industry, some of those operators that have been a little too... Uh, aggressive and a little too hungry and a little too damaging in that process and this regulation isn't a surprise and it will shake the tree and it will cause some of those behaviors um, to change so most importantly our marketplace will improve our standing and our professionalism uh, will improve and, and key the outcomes for the customers which is what the FCA wants will be better with more informed choice. You're watching the Auto Retail Live webinar, The Future of Car Finance. Thank you for joining us. If you have a comment you'd like to add or a question to raise with the panel, uh, please feel free to enter it uh, using your keyboard on this webinar, or you can use the hashtag ARNLive. Um, our next panelist uh, is Mike Pierce from Sitna Finance. Some of you may remember him as the immediate past president of the uh, dealer body, the NFDAs. Um, F&I Working Group. Gosh, acronyms galore. Mike, a wealth of experience. What's the view from the retailer from the changes we've seen here? Uh, yes. Mike, I Hello, Al. Um, can you hear me? Uh, yes, hearing uh, you now. Hi, Al. Hi, everybody. Um, yeah, just fo following on, really, from what Andy said, um, this is no surprise to the vast majority of retailers, certainly... The, the larger retailer groups. Um, it's been an evolution for many years, actually. And this uh, trade body, the NFDA uh, working group, has um, been steering a path through this for probably six to eight years. So um, are we surprised with the outcome? No. Um, should we be, um, you know, in our, my opinion, we're sort of three quarters of the way there already um, in terms of how we've adapted. Most of those DIC models, particularly what they call the upward DIC model, um, is uh, very unusual to see, um, certainly in the franchise uh, retailer world these days. So I don't think we should be scared about it. Um, I do think they listened to the trade body input about um, sufficient time to get this right. Um, so we were both very pleased that it went from commission disclosure overnight and commission models to follow three months later. Uh, that has um, rightly, in our opinion, um, moved to six months for both. So we have till the uh, end of January to, uh, to do this right. So generally, you know, my advice would be that right now there is um, a number of things going on, um, good healthy things that will help retailers steer a path through this. So I would urge people not to rush in to change, uh, but to use the time that the FCA have given us um, to, to do this right. And probably the most important element of doing this right is you know, the right sort of healthy collaboration between retailers and lenders. Because as um, both of the previous uh, presenters have said, you know, the FCA on purpose leave it to uh, us um, to uh, interpret and apply fairness and common sense to their regulations. They're wise enough to, to, to not uh, be caught trying to specify too, too specifically. So I think the next two or three months are, are about 
uh, retailers and lenders steering a, 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 a jointly agreed collaborative path through this. And if we do, and if we do that properly, um, I don't believe that we should be too too scared with, with what is around the corner. And I quote, you know, the FCA in their paper to say, nor do we have evidence that prices in this market are inherently too high. So it, it is a tidying up of uh, the fringe, uh, for sure. Um, uh, there's no question that the fringe element needs to get the house in order. Um, it's important that we don't overreact um, uh, to this uh, um, inadvertently. Um, but uh, I I'm confident that uh, we can steer a path through here and come out the other side, um, not not worrying too much about the devastating impact to to our to our, our retailer profitability. There will be some compromise, but we think it's well manageable. Thank you for that um, introduction, Mike. That's actually just on that topic. Um, whilst you were talking, Gillian Murray from the Arena uh, Group. Hi, Gillian. Thank you for your question. Says, um, when will dealers? get the chance to take this, uh, or will they take this seriously, given that the challenging conditions, as you alluded to there with COVID-19, there's a lot to take on. Uh, if that question is posed to me, Al, I think, um, I believe they will. I think, um, you know, the only reason this uh, has arrived in the time frame it has is because everything's been put back um, due to the COVID situation. So, um, and I think that helped get them over the line with the, implementation date of uh, end of January. Um, I think the onus will be, you know, they put pure, they, they put the emphasis on the lenders to um, have uh, sufficient oversight of the partners that they choose to do business with. Um, and there are, you know, some healthy discussions going on between the NFDA and the FLA on, you know, how that, uh, how that could look because there's a danger here, you know, that a retailer group such as uh, Sitna would have more than 20 uh, funding relationships across a number of OEM brands with a few independents thrown in. So if you could imagine uh, that audit and oversight, you know, potentially could be 20 day, uh, day interrogations four times a year, it would be unworkable. So there is talk about um, uh, a little bit as uh, Ivendi's principle, uh, there's talk here about can this uh, can we create uh, commonality to that so that a, sim a similar type of um, oversight um, is applied once on behalf of multiple lenders. So there's a lot of focus going on about how the oversight will happen, but I do believe the lenders have no choice um, but to understand more what their retailer partners are doing. Thanks, Mike. Let's jump into it. As you mentioned, you, you referenced Ivendi, and I'm delighted James Chu, the CEO um, of Ivendi, is with us this afternoon for our webinar. Um, let's jump into some of the practical stuff then, then, James. How do the changes work then in practice and particularly online? Hi, Al. Yeah, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, yeah, there's uh, there are changes. Um, we, I think we guessed, second guessed correctly that uh, the consultation paper and the final paper, there wasn't a great deal of difference. Um, yeah, the, uh, I, I guess there is a lot of work to be done in a relatively short time frame with a global pandemic going on. Um, system providers have, have clearly got to do more work around, I suppose, the commission disclosure piece. 
uh, both from an online perspective, but also those that produce documents, finance agreements, they're going to be impl impl implicated in this. New commission models that are coming into market, um, Motonovo have launched their risk-based pricing, so the first of the prime lenders to operate in this space. Um, so, yeah, the, the commission models generally um, may well end up being a variation on a theme, um, so perhaps not too much work to do on that, and the calculation engines kind of already exist. I suppose it's, uh, it, it's how the retailers then implement these changes. Um, are they going to operate with a single lender options on websites and in the showroom, or do they choose to perhaps show their eclectic mix of uh, lenders, a lender panel that will show a range of payments, which can be based upon product, based on credit appetite um, of the particular lenders. Um, you know, most retailers, and I'm sure Sitna have uh, a large number, a large panel of lenders, especially when you include all the captive brands. So presenting all these across uh, they, perhaps their used vehicles, I think is something that's going to be key. So the customer's got a clear indication uh, and that is, I suppose, is a great example of, of demonstrating transparency. Um, but obviously making sure that the showroom is aligned to uh, their website uh, and other marketplaces as well. So uh, choice is key, but when providing choice, which one does the customer pick? Lowest payment, lowest APR, uh, or the one that he's likely to get? So I, I guess things like eligibility checking uh, that have been around in the sector now for probably the last eight years, we may see a greater prominence in, in, in those. And maybe we need greater support from lenders to be a little bit more transparent uh, with their information around that so that we can provide even more accurate results or the cases of pre-approval. Um, I think when we get on to the, the existence and nature of commission, and, and, and Neil picked on the word nature, I think that's the nature is the operative word. Uh, I spoke to a, uh, a lawyer yesterday who, uh, who, who said the OFT were crap, uh, but at least they get, gave you an example. Uh, and that would be a great <laughs> help in this. Uh, so, because uh, sometimes they just give me an example, give me something to work from. Um, and I think that it's going to be down to the lenders to produce these examples because if the retailer has got to implement the, the, the nature of the commission against the lender's product, then the lender will need to provide those statements, in my opinion. Um, it can't really be for the retailer to second guess. Um, and then, of course, we're going to have retail uh, lenders operating with different commission models. Um, so, yes, we mentioned risk-based pricing. It could be fixed commissions, variable commissions based upon term and the advance. Uh, so, so, yeah, I mean, how is that going to pan out? If it's a fixed commission that effectively separates the, the, finance, the finance transaction from the commission in total, clearly, yes, that, that, that is going to be uh, perhaps the, the holy grail for the FCA, but again does cause problems. Um, so, uh, yeah, operational oversight, uh, I think this is the big one. Um, if a customer starts a journey with a 7.9% offering, say, from Black Horse and ends with a 19.9% deal, uh, four applications later with Startline, uh, how did the customer get from uh, A to D? What's that journey? Where's the audit process? Who quoted who? Um, and I think... So we're going to see more monitoring, more audit in built, built, needs to be built into systems going forward uh, to evidence how, how that customer ultimately received that offer, uh, not just look at the final offer. Yeah, so um, plenty to do, Al. Um, you know, it's going to keep us busy. 
lenders have, have come out, and, and lenders, I guess, are key of this. I, I, I scribbled something here about lenders managing networks and this idea. Mike, perhaps if it turned to you, the, the responsibility now seems to have been clarified that the lender is accountable for their networks. In this case, that sounds like the lender is going to be defining how you, the retailer, run your business. Is, is that what's going to happen in reality? Um, I feel that's probably a bit strong. I think the um, the, the lender oversight um, is to ensure that you know we're following the spirit of um, the, the regulations and conk, um, uh, rather than uh, influencing the strategy. So you know, take an example. If 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 uh, you know what comes out the other side, which I think it will in 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 coming weeks, you know, will be the let's say for argument's sake, there's five. You know, clearly compliant models. Um, then you know the retailer will still determine um, which of those uh, models uh, best suits their business. So um, I, I, I think it's oversight, not not control. If there's a, a subtle, subtle but important difference in that. Sounds like a bit of creative tension there, but then there's nothing new about creative tension in the retail chain uh, in, in automotive, is there? Um, stay with us, Mike, because there's a question here from David Billsborough um, from Cheshire Cars. Hi, David. Um, he says he's just offered uh, he's offered just a single rate across all cars. In, in his view, surely that's acceptable. That that still works. Uh, most certainly, um, uh, you know the the regulator makes it extremely clear that. What they're doing here is fixed commissions, not fixed rates, um, uh, and, and they re-emphasise that um, time after time. So the question is, you know, the simplest of those models would be to fix the rate as well. Um, uh, some retailers will feel that that's too clumsy, uh, that the art of negotiation still uh, um, has a place. The FCA. Uh, have reconfirmed to certainly to the uh, to the NFDA trade body that discounting is perfectly acceptable. It's just how um, we find the commercial model with the lenders to achieve the flexibility. Um, and uh, so, uh, if you just go fixed 10.9 APR uh, with a fixed commission, clearly you're compliant. Um, but uh, there are lenders out there that are possibly exploring rate for risks uh, uh, our lenders are fully confirming that you know a, a, a healthy discounting uh, as long as the commission it remains fixed on that transaction um, then all those are, are are for consideration thank you mike um, another question steve faulkner uh, hi steve from automotive solutions and I'm going to turn to uh, Neil, Neil Pickles from RSM. Uh, Steve asked the question, how will the changes impact lease versus ownership? Um, well, I think that's a reasonably e easy one to, to start with, really, because um, they, they've made it clear, they, sorry, the FCA have made it clear that um, the hiring of cars is, is, is not um, covered by these regulatory changes, and the paper is specific on two reasons why. Uh, no, number one is that it wasn't in the scope of their review in the first place, which uh, is a very oddity thing to say, but uh, something that you would expect them to say. Um, they work within very clearly defined scopes. 
Um, but the second reason is because they don't see the same um, ability to be detrimental in the sale of, of a vehicle through a lease um, because the ability to effectively flex um, the, the price of the car in, in order to increase commission um, does not exist in the same way. So um, I think they've, again, made it quite clear that they'll continue to monitor this and, and, and we'll see whether, for example, is there a shift towards leasing of vehicles that is unhealthy from a uh, both customer and, and competitive perspective as a result of these, you know, an unintended consequence, if you will. Um, but at the moment, um, it, it is not covered within the new regulation. Okay. Thank you, Neil. Um, questions coming through. Um, Andrew Hicks at Listers. Hi, Andrew. Um, if a discounting model remains in the business with the same reward for each uh, rate APR charged, how do you best manage this internally to ensure that the lowest rate isn't charged every time and, and you still get good customer outcomes? I'm going to go to Andy, um, Andy Tong from Profit Training for that. This is the, the whole issue around um, discounting of uh, interest rates. I think um, there's a couple of things to bear in mind on that. I think just thinking commercially, because, uh, you know, we're, we're literally with seconds uh, on that question, there's going to be lots of commercial processes and each individual retailer is going to look at those in a different way. And each individual retailer is going to have key performance indicators and metrics where perhaps the higher rate is charged too many times or perhaps the lower rate is charged too many times. That's going to have to be part of their own internal due diligence to make sure that there is a balanced commercial performance. But I'd moderate that with where's the where's the subvention, where's the inducement coming from? If that is a, a nationally recognised marketing campaign, either from a manufacturer or indeed an incentivised funding campaign from a funder, then is that being used correctly and appropriately? And I would just go back to the age-old outcome word. You know, the FCA. If you can justify why you do what you do as a dealer group, as an introducer, or even effective as a broker, if you can prove that the outcomes are always the best for the client, and there's there's a clear, fair, and not misleading process to follow under TCF regs, I genuinely feel right now today commercially that the worst you'd get is a bit of critique. The best you'd get is a better balanced performance using products in a smart way, rather than just as a drone following the herd, because that's what everybody else is doing. And that's how perhaps we look at our market being sanitized if we're not careful. Andy, another point that kind of links to that really is in terms of engagement with the customer. So what does the retailer as a result of these changes now have to tell the customer and when? Is there a shift here or, or, or is it, does it come down to common sense again? I think that common sense still prevails, but that, that common sense has got to be measured and marked with our commerciality as operators as well as, as Mike said, we've been given time, six months in fact, January 2021, to put those processes into place. And the, the knee jerk that caused me uh, to come out in a bit of a rash was the possible potential overnight statements of commission statements. But even in uh, the, 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 latest, um, uh, the latest PS, the latest publication that's come out, uh, from the FCA and um, detailing the, the whole points of this conversation. What they're saying in that situation is as long as the sensibility, there's accountability, as long as there's a, an example, that example is relevant to the customer, it doesn't have to be tailored, it does have to be appropriate, and it does have to be for the right product, which again sort of goes back very closely to the, the question that you mentioned before about uh, leasing and, and contract hire. And if I can add, I genuinely feel tagging a response onto a previous question. I genuinely feel that in the way that we saw a huge uptake for a million good reasons uh, of PCPs when they first launched and properly gained traction in the UK market, 
I think we're going to see a large swathe of people either taking up or being persuaded to take up personal leasing and contract hire packages for exactly that reason. How long the regulator takes before they pay attention to it, that's another matter. But yes, I think we've got some migration. And I think if we can prove our own internal commercial diligence and the best outcomes for the customer, I think the regulator is going to be at best happy. Thank you, Andy. Um, Sorry, no, please. Yeah, I was just going to just say, I mean, I think one of the changes, the, the this commission disclosure, I mean, it's been today, it's tucked in the footer of a web page. This is going to have to be far more prominent, and the, and the FCA expects it to be prominent. Now, I think Neil picked on this, the prominence is the issue, because what's more prominent, the rep example or the uh, the nature and the existence of commission, they, they use exactly the same term. So I think we're assuming that the existence and the nature of commission will need to be contained when the rep example um, or, or associated close to the rep example. But of course, then we're left with the complexities. What happens if I'm if I am have got multiple models and I'm displaying quotations from multiple lenders? How do, how does that do I disclose them all or just the one on the rep example? But I think also in the cross the journey, I think it's going to be imperative now that this uh, nature and existence of commission is, is verified uh, very early in the process, and, and, and the customer has perhaps multiple, I suppose, multiple points in the journey where this is raised. So I'd say pre-application, uh, whether it's online or in the showroom, it, it must be raised there, it must be acknowledged by the customer, and you must audit that somehow and, and provide evidence, whether that's digital or even kind of written evidence. Um, yeah, and also, of course, there's going to be changes on the pre-contract to this. So, uh, yeah, these I would imagine, therefore, because of all the work the lenders will need to do, they will start to reduce the number of commission models that are going to be out there, because that's going to be more, I suppose, IT work uh, for those guys to carry out. But, uh, yeah, there are quite a lot of changes around. Stay Andy, with the changes, because... Sorry, Al, I'm sorry, sorry, I'm... Al, just to just to amplify on that point, um, uh, I think it might be useful to know that the uh, FLA, the lenders trade body, and the NFDA, the retailers trade body, are working to, uh, as we talk uh, to produce um, or attempt to produce a jointly badged. You know, we, we've got to make sure we can get there a jointly badged uh, guidance model that we have the intention of providing to the FCA. Um, which is attempting to um, identify a compliant models and non-compliant models. And uh, along with that is the commission disclosure examples. So we've attempted to move from you know, a, 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 multi a multiple of uh, words to here's what a typical example could look like. So uh, we're still in, uh, in work in progress on that. But we're finding that actually this isn't quite as scary as we think. Um, uh, you can possibly even break this down into two commission disclosure um, amounts, one for the vast majority of the compliant models and um, one possibly for uh, the slightly more marginal models, the ones that you know, perhaps have uh, a balance uh, bias, a term bias, a product bias, um, or even, you know, potentially justification for higher commission uh, due to workload. They're all things that are not um, banned, uh, but it's quite unusual for retailers to, to go down that path. So 
I think you know it's worth seeing the outcome of that work because um, you know what we're doing so far appears to show it's not quite as scary as it might seem on the surface. Mike, looking forward, and it's a question from uh, Nigel McMinn. Hello, Nigel. Good afternoon. Um, who says the point? What do you think that retail uh, consumer finance is going to look like in kind of five to ten years? Given this, perhaps is a the start of a trajectory and, and more engagement by the FCA. What, what's your crystal ball? Tell you, Mike. Um, that's a really good question. Um, there are one or two clues. Um, uh, one of them is um, a consultation that they've started. It's 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 quite uh, it's going to pan out for several years, but the FCA are looking at interest uh, um, to the the likes of the Experians and the Equifaxes of the world to see if there can be greater commonality. My personal view is that if the regulator regulator could flick a switch. Um, and have the sort of common, robust uh, American model for credit scoring, um, then I don't think it's uh, three or four or five years away. Um, but if you ask me to predict 10 years away, if they're successful with where they drive that, um, uh, commonality, price, competition in, in those uh, credit-based agencies, um, I think if you ask them secretly, would they like to fast forward a decade to uh, rate for risk uh, being the norm, uh, that may well be what, what what's, what's coming down the line. It's just a personal view. Thank you, Mike. Helpful. Um, interesting question from Ben Standish at Motor Novo. By the way, if you would like a question uh, or raise a point with the panel, please feel free. You can type in your question to the webinar uh, and Tristan is uh, editorial keeping an eye on hashtag ARN live. Uh, ben at Motonovo. James, I think I think perhaps this to you. Um, finance penetration on used remains kind of locked at about 20%. Um, Ben's question, and not surprising as a, as, a, as a lender, is does this mean a change is needed um, rather than it being a, a threat to income? Yeah, I think a change is needed because it, it is quite a low uh, finance penetration. And we operate in Germany, and it's significantly higher in Germany, and, and they sell credit insurance. So, uh, you know, they expect a, a used, used retailer to be 50, 60% penetration. So perhaps it is the interest rates um, that are causing some of the problem, uh, the gap between some of the, I suppose, the advertised personal loan rates versus the uh, advertised um, HPPCP prices um, does cause the, the super prime customers to, I suppose, be put off. Um, though... I would say that the the lower twenties would be the perhaps the the smaller independent dealer that takes less of an interest in in motor finance. I think when we're talking, if Mike may not want to disclose his finance penetration on used vehicles, but I would suggest it be fifty uh, percent. Otherwise, uh, there'll be a few more people joining the uh, the dole queue. So um, it, it, yeah, so I think we are we do see this big diverse nature of finance penetration. But clearly, lower interest rates um, are going to create increased penetration. I think um, I, I think that the issue with that, with lower commissions, does one offset the other? Um, the law of Sod's law says it won't. Um, it, it'll say that if, if rates are lowered, and we've we've spoken to car supermarkets that have experimented experimented on this, dropping a rate from 9.9 to 7.9, increased finance penetration by 10%, but income went down by 20%. So, so the, those are some of the, uh, the, the dilemmas.
Thank you, James. Neil um, from RSM. A question to you from Rob Parker-Jones from uh, Rose Garage. Um, hi, Rob. Is offering a finance deposit from OEMs uh, likely to stop on the basis that it can tip a customer, if you like, into having finance when it may not actually be in the best interest of the customer to do so? Um, that is a great question and one that I don't think it is possible to answer in the short term. However, this feeds into the nature um, um, part of what the FCA is going for because um, I think we've probably all experienced this in, in reality in, uh, when, when looking after our own uh, car needs that there is definitely a habit to say, well, if you take this, you can have it at that price, but don't worry, you can pay it back almost immediately. Now, that is verbal, not written, but that is, a, is an example of what the FCA is, is trying, is, is trying to um, eradicate fr from the sector. Um, that doesn't mean that offering that kind of thing is a bad thing, in inverted commas, um, and that, that's why I do link it to the word nature, because if, if you're open and transparent, and the, 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 the customer can see that they're getting a better deal um, as well um, as, as, as the dealership, then why, why would that be a bad thing? So I, I think the honest answer is I don't know, but I, I don't think it is definitely the death knell. I think that would be um, to exaggerate. Another question. To Sorry to add on to that, well, if, if if the finance deposit allowance is effectively uh, subsidised, it is supported by an increased finance rate, uh, that does beg a lot of questions. So where we're seeing 5.9 schemes with a £3,000 FDA, it, it, I, I could see the FCA spending a little bit of time looking at that because there are, they'll then see, well, there's interest-free deals with FDAs as well. Um, so is one supporting the other? And I suppose then comes back to this this question of disclosure um, and the commission disclosure and the information being made available uh, easily to the consumer there, James. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, there would be a potential disclosure of commission at that point. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting one. I know it's not, it's not being picked up, um, certainly in the automotive sector yet. Just noting that, obviously, I, 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 agree, I agree with everything that James said. Take consumer finance is pretty wide um, amongst the entire consumer finance market. So the idea that finance companies cannot effectively incentivize the seller of the product to get their um, products uh, to get their finance out there is is pretty established um, in the UK. Sorry, Andy, I think you had a point as well. I would, I would agree, Al. And I, I, might, I might add, just going back to that point on nature, um, uh, the uh, FCA have changed their stance because when they last introduced uh, the regulations for the insurance distribution directive, uh, they kindly used illustrative examples of what both good looks like and bad looks like. And they did actually specify in their nature uh, and determine nature and that was their interpretation. So we've taken that. We've taken their own um, interpretation of that, which doesn't look scary, um, and converted that to some working examples. So uh, the plan of attack is to provide that jointly created document um, and give it to the FCA. And uh, the interaction we've had with the FCA, although they won't endorse 
um, they have inferred strongly, more than inferred strongly, that if what we what is provided to them gives them cause for concern, then they will um, guarantee to respond. So that's as good as we're going to get from the regulator, but it's actually quite powerful that there is a record that we shared uh, our um, future approach with them and they didn't shout um, that they were concerned by that. And that in turn can help us a little bit with CMCs and such like further down, further down the line. Mike, final question, um, and maybe I'll get a couple of views on this, um, from Alan McIntosh at the John Clark Group. Um, Alan says, does the panel think these changes will attract more lenders to the market? How do you see it, Mike? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I, I can't see any radical change uh, here. I think, um, I think it's vitally important that uh, lenders work collaboratively on this because the, the serious danger here is that the document inevitably allows people to um, uh, interpret it in, in, in several ways. Um, so there are some important points of clarity happening behind the scenes right now to, to try and reduce the chances of doing that. But rather than worrying about new entrants, um, uh, we are worried about the different spins that different lenders could could put on it, which in turn, you know, could easily confuse the consumer. When, as, uh, uh, as several presenters have said, you know, when you have a, a multiple relationships by necessity. So, to, to me, that's the big one uh, that you know we should be using all of the next three or four months to to, to try and achieve, and commonality with disclosure as well, because every retailer, but every lender potentially is off considering what changes to make to their documentation, in particular their pre-contract information, the adequate explanation document. And we've already seen examples of lenders going early and over-enthusiastically um, uh, and, and then having to be pulled back by retailers. So if we're working on those good common examples and we can get some commonality it benefits everybody, in my opinion. It benefits the consumer. It, 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 uh, it puts us in a better position to push back to uh, claims management companies. Um, and, you know, we uh, uh, retailers and lenders won't get dizzy. So uh, to, to me, that's the priority over the coming months. Thank you, Mike. For the last 40 minutes, we've been discussing the future of motor finance following the SCA's uh, guidelines. Uh, before we close uh, today, uh, just a quick reminder that uh, if you have colleagues uh, who weren't able to join us, you can, of course, uh, see and share with them the webinar, which has been recorded, uh, perhaps as a useful guide to them and a briefing on the situation. But before we go, our practical tips. Uh, first of all, to Andy, Andy Tong at uh, Profit Training. Um, end of January is when everything has to be in place. What would your recommendation be in practical terms between now and then? Okay, um, this is, as has been said before by other presenters uh, and by Mike just a moment ago, this is important, it's urgent, but we shouldn't panic. We knew this was coming, let's be calm, let's be nice and collected. But of course, this is a, a balance between both commercial and compliant. We can be too compliant and make mistakes, uh, overly compliant and cause our commerciality to fail. We can be too commercial and be reprimanded for it. But as leaders in this industry, everybody watching this, every participant has got a part to play. 
the message that we give to everybody throughout the whole of the sales and F&I levels is about let's embrace the change. This is an evolutionary step. This is not a threat. It's not a problem. It is a hurdle. It is different. It is something new to embrace, but we can see it positively and enthusiastically, and that will come across to our clients who will have faith and confidence and make an informed choice that suits our bottom line P&L as well. James Chu, CFO, uh, CEO of iVendi. Um, a couple of things. Don't look for loopholes. Um, this isn't COVID-19 going to the pub and working a scam. Um, it's, it is serious. So uh, work with the regulation, not against it. Um, I think you can plan early. I think that a lot of the areas where we will focus on is putting the infrastructure in place um, as a tech business, but things like the messaging will probably lead towards the back end of the, of the year. So, uh, and, and kind of reiterate what Mike was saying, if the FLA can be the conductor with, with the lenders and they can come up with a bit of commonality, it would make everyone's lives a lot easier. Thank you, James. Neil Pickles from RSM. Uh, thanks, Al. So first of all, I'd want to reiterate what Andy said in terms of um, em embracing. I, I absolutely endorse that. Um, I think, secondly, recognise that as well as being auto retailers, you are financial services businesses. If, if the, such a material amount of your income comes from the selling of financial services products, then you need, as a business, to recognise that you are an FS business as well as auto retail. And therefore, specifically, my one thought would be make sure that you've got the right diversity of thought in your leadership team. So you, you, you will undoubtedly have uh, many very talented people when it comes to auto retail ask yourselves a question whether you've got the same level of talent when it comes to um, making sure that you're, you're run as an FS business. Good point. Final word to Mike Pierce from Sitna Finance. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd echo everything I've heard so far. I guess um, it probably fits with what I've said. Don't, don't rush. Don't rush in. Um, let the uh, guidance documents uh, come to a conclusion. See how much commonality can come out of the back of that, uh, and then uh, we should be able to go about this in a, in a more balanced knee-jerk reaction. I think the danger at the minute is a few lenders may be out there, um, you know, just pushing one particular preference when it's it's fully accepted that there are a number of different compliant models. Um, so I would urge people just to just to not not rush, do it well, don't do it quick. Thank you. And thank you for joining us uh, and taking part in our webinar today for spending the last 40 minutes or so with us. Um, a catch-up version of today's webinar will be available within the hour. Uh, you're welcome to share with your colleagues uh, or use and perhaps refresh on a couple of the points. This has been Auto Retail Live. Thank you very much for joining us. We'll see you again soon.